Peace and blessings, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Priest. Today is September 11th, 2019. Hold one moment, please. Nine one one. Uh who's on the line? Sean's brother EK. Shalom, brother. How are you, sir? Shalom, doing well. How about yourself? I am hanging in there, brother. Uh today. Sure. Today is nine eleven. And we all know the events that took place on 9-11 in New York. And, excuse me, we, I don't know about any of you. This is not to disrespect what happened. But I don't know anyone that knew anyone that was affected by or that was in the World Trade Center. That's a better way to say it. We know we have people in the nation that have been in, they live in New York and New Jersey and, you know, what have you. But I think the consensus is many of us don't believe that that was a terrorist act. Many of us believe that that was the United States government that did it. And as you see the film, you can see what was bringing down the building are implosives. It's imploding. Now, I happen to be one who lived in Detroit, and I want to say late 80s, maybe early 90s, 1987, something maybe, there was a Hudson's building in downtown Detroit that was imploded. And it was a big deal because this was a historical building. But I remember it vividly, and with the implosion of that building, it looked exactly the same as the World Trade Center during the time of the planes crashing into it. I just want to open with open with that as a remembrance of the thing that took place. What are your thoughts on that, brother? Uh, shalom, brother. Um... It's interesting because um, I was pretty young when that happened. Um, I kind of remember um, I was actually in school and um, they had let us out pretty early. And um, at the time, there was a classmate that had an aunt that was actually on one of those flights that crashed into the World Trade Center. Um, yeah. And so... Wow. Yeah, so um, so that was something that was pretty, you know, like when you, I was very young, so I like, I, I, I was very, I was kind of like, like kind of perplexed, like you know, I was like, wow, like, like we're really under attack right now. So it's like, you know, you're kind of really concerned about a lot of things. And I have my father's side of the family had like a sister that was in New York. Um, and, you know, we were just trying to make sure that they was all right. And um, so as years went on, you know, I didn't really do much research about, you know, what was really going on from it. Like, you know, you hear the, the, the stories of, um, you know, the United States potentially being involved with it and um, how it was a retaliation from Osama bin Laden because of him you know, being part of, like, I think he was, like, maybe, like, a 
a special operative a long time ago, and I guess something had went wrong, and this was a retaliation because of that. So there's those pockets of information that circulate as well. So, um, and then I think I did see a video that that showed how the World Trade Center was kind of like how you described was kind of imploding from within. So if the plane, um, if the plane hit the building, only the top would obviously fall off. It wouldn't fall like that. Uh, and particularly the way they built that uh, World Trade Center, from what I was able to remember, like it was a very, very sophisticated structure. So somebody would have to have known the architecture and what would really cause that building to implode like that. It could have been an inside bomb that would do something like that. And simultaneously, the, the, the planes hitting the, the building. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot that really went on with that. And my whole thing about that is, like, those who know what happened um, probably will speak under the pretense of anonymity, of, of being anonymous, where they don't want to be identified as those who know what happened. But I believe that people know exactly what happened. Um, and I believe people understand the chain of events that led up to that point and afterwards. And us as the public will only be privy to certain pieces of that information depending on who's telling who, who's telling who, who's telling who, who's telling who. And then from there, people will begin to be, people can begin to put two and two together. So it is a really sophisticated um, situation that happened. But, um, you know, at the time when it happened, I was just really, really, like, perplexed. You know, because it was like, wow, like, this is a really serious deal. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, you question the motives if, if, if the U.S. was involved, like, what was their motives? And then we obviously would know the motives of those who were doing the bombing or who was driving, who was, who was you know, flying the planes. But then that gets sophisticated as well, you know. So this is a really, really sophisticated uh, situation. And, um, it's surprising how there's a lot of things that are going on with that. So that's my thoughts, brother, not you. Thank you very much for that, sir. Um, you know, <clears throat> 911, a building exploding, imploding, is blamed on foreigners. Yet many of us in America, particularly anybody that's in a conscious movement or thinkers or free thinkers, we don't necessarily believe that foreigners did that. Well, this brought me to the mind of Hebrew history. And I'm going to tell you why. <clears throat> the said Negro, North American Negro, West Indians, Haitians, particular Western Spanish-speaking peoples, <clears throat> people scattered out throughout the four corners of the earth or quarters of the earth, are in fact Israelites who were either, either directly victimized during the transatlantic slave trade or somehow or other got mixed up with different people and we've suffered. So what we mostly hear when we start to find out who we are is how the big, bad, devilish, said white man has been our problem. So all we've really known 
this transatlantic slave trade. Caucasian people did this to us. So on and so forth. When we look at our history and be, and we're taught our history in America, we're taught that it starts with the transatlantic slave trade, and then we're then we're only taught Crispus Attucks, Martin Luther King, um, Frederick Douglass. We're we're not really taught very much. <clears throat> so the tendency is to stir up anger. Um, blame when we're hearing who we are, when we're rediscovering what we went through. So I'm saying to you, we're looking at black on black crime. We're looking at um, police murders all across America. And I'm saying to you, that the mass majority of our people view this in a different way than what actually took place. Now, I want you to think about this. <clears throat> Do you think that we did nothing wrong? We were just minding our own business, and here comes the old bestial, devilish, said white man to put us in slavery. Do you think there was nothing we did wrong? That he was the all source of evil? That he was the all wrong one? And he did this to us unjustly, unfairly? Now, I'm not saying what he did, that he did to us he definitely didn't treat us right still doesn't treat us right necessarily some of them do some of them don't but i'm saying look at this <clears throat> the scriptures tell us more about our history than what we realize <clears throat> so i want to cover something very Simple. Black on black crime did not start with Caucasians cutting off programs. Black on black crime started with us worshiping idol gods thousands of years ago. Black on black crime today is the result and the aftermath of the worship of idol gods, the continued worship of false religions. The hatred that is among us did not start from Caucasians beating us, from Caucasians teaching us to hate ourselves. that It didn't start there. I know that's what most of us think. Well, most of us that call ourselves awoke or conscious, that's what we think. We think everything that's evil came from somebody else. But in reality, if we're the first people on the planet, then obviously we must have committed the first evils. What are your thoughts about that, E.K.? Yeah, brother. Uh, that's why um, the scriptures always say to study thy study the show thyself approve because there's so much that is out there that um, our people are not necessarily privy to. And the 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 ironic thing about all of this is everything that we look around us is all traceable back to the scriptures, and so one would have to say to themselves, what has been the most consistent recorded account of people's histories and behaviors? And nothing is new under the sun. So anything that we are seeing now is directly traceable to what was going back 
2,000 plus years ago in the scripture. And so because of our people um, having a vantage point that only begins with slavery and just where they're located within proximity of North America, Central America, and even parts of West Africa, beyond that is a very, very big question mark. And there's this big scramble as to this identity, um, where do I come from, where did it all begin, this identity crisis. But when you look at the scriptures and you look at the, and you look at the timeline and the migration patterns into how we ended up here, it will start to reveal a pattern of why we ended up where we are today. Granted, there is some level of, you know, you can say injustice that the quote-unquote Caucasian man has done throughout history, but one will also have to remember is from a metaphysical perspective, as above, so below, it was also prophesied that our condition would be like this contingent upon us not hearkening unto the established order of the day, which was to obey the Most High through the law, statutes, and commandments. And because of our ancestors not doing that, the ripple effect that traversed various generations is what we have today. And so when you look in the book of Deuteronomy 28, which is a very famous chapter um, that a lot of people um, throughout, you know, the self-conscious community and those who maybe identify themselves as Hebrew Israelites, um, would see that that a lot of the, the 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 material that's contained in that chapter is actually being talked about today. Uh, a perfect example is uh, being known as bywords, meaning things that are not that represent think words or phrases or adjectives that describe a body of people or something that is not what it was originally named after. So, for example, because we were known as Israelites, the vast majority of people throughout the world do not know that, particularly Negroes throughout the world, don't regard themselves as Israelites. There's so many national, uh, different ethnicities, so many different cultures where we've been wiped out from our memory base of who we, in fact, are. And so if that foundation is not there, and that could explain why there's so many different cultures and so many different quote unquote ethnicities. But then when you do a trace of, when you when you start tracing these things back, you start getting closer and closer and closer back to the source and then you start saying, Oh wow, based on the migration patterns that was going on, we can see that from a logical conclusion this is where we this is the area at which we originated from. So understanding that would allow us to understand the present day and why our condition is the way it is. That does not mean that what you know, you know, the, what Europeans have done uh, are exempted. But what happens is, it's just like, for example, in, in modern day terms, when people go to, um, you know, Department of Correction, you know, for like crimes they may have committed. The idea is we're not supposed to like our punishment. The, the whole purpose of the punishment is for us to reflect and to reform our behavior so we don't fall into that same predicament again. So on a very, very large scale, when it happens to a body of people, this is what we're seeing. This is, what we're, that's, this is what's taking place. So what we saw throughout, for example, throughout the history of slavery, throughout the uh, time period immediately after the Emancipation Proclamation, leading all the way up to the 60s and the 70s with the Black Power Movement and the whole, you know, COINTELPRO to kill the Black Messiah and all these Black Power organizations, what you're seeing is a ramification of a transgression that has trickled down all the way down to this present generation that's suffering those same consequences. Now, to some people, it may seem very insensitive. It may seem like, what are you talking about? But the reality is, you don't, we, if we're not, a, if we if, if no one outside of the information base that we've been solely accustomed to is not providing that perspective 
then we're not going to get the complete picture as to why things are happening the way it is and all the way down into politics, economics, why our social condition is not the way it is, why we don't understand the crime that's going on. Like, we don't have the other side of the story, basically what, it, basically what I'm getting at. And because of the, the story that we're, we're being told is from a vantage point that only begins with slavery, civil rights, and all these different black power movements that was going on, that makes it seem like our history is so small. Then when you start going outside of that, now then you start going into the quote-unquote um, black goddess realm, all these different conscious movements about this, about that, these different areas of trying to put the pieces together. But in reality, the big elephant in the room is the scriptures. And this is why when the scriptures that it talked about specifically that Satan will be loose for a little season to deceive the whole world and even the very elect among us, regardless of nationality. So there are people around the world that are looking at this scripture right in their face and still cannot make heads or tails as to what happened in history and correlate it. But that doesn't mean that people don't know. There are people that do know exactly what happened. But for our purposes as those who are Negro origin that is in the surrounding islands, the Caribbean, West Africa, North America, and so forth, our history is contained in that. And if we're not aligning ourselves to trace back to what really happened from that standpoint to understand what happened today, then the history that we've been fed for so many years if we're allowing that to be our only information base, then we really have a problem going forward as a people. So this perspective that we're providing is to show the complete overview of what happened in history, our role in it, because like the brother had mentioned, we didn't just wake up one day and just get taken out of West Africa, you know, and just went shipped off to the Caribbean islands in North America. Something had to have happened in order to introduce that occurring. So if we're only starting from us being victims and not identifying our role and why we became in that quote-unquote uh, 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 victim-like uh, perspective that is being um, pushed to people, then we're doing ourselves a, uh, we're not giving ourselves a fair chance at understanding from an objective point of view what really happened to us, and that will give us the ability to really focus in on what needs to be solved and resolved as far as our comprehension in history, who we were, why we did what we did, how we ended up here, and what we can do to rectify the situation so we don't have to repeat that for our own future generations that come after us. With that, Brother Ayu. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that, Brother. Very insightful. So, Let me begin here. You know, a lot of us, there are key people that we've heard of in the scriptures, key people whose names that we know. And there are a whole lot more people that are in the, the scriptures whose names we do not know. For instance, how many people have heard of King David? How many people have heard of King Solomon? How many of us know that Solomon was David's or one of David's sons? Do you know who Solomon's son was? I'll come back to that. Do you know how many children King David had? All right, listen. The tradition has been the eldest son or the most qualified son was the one to take the seat of the throne as the you know um, to can to continue the bloodline right so david was actually the second king of our nation of israel the first would have been Saul. <clears throat> and Saul and David got into it, and 
the scepter and Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin and the scepter of the throne of rulership was transferred from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah. David was from the tribe of Judah. Tribe of Judah had one of the main things that you can look this up in history. This is known, what I'm about to say is known all over the world. It is not known in the United States because the poor education system. The tribe of Judah was a dark, dark, quote unquote, black tribe. And they made sure they um, kept that purity as far as the um, bloodline. Okay, now. David takes office. He's king. How many children does David have? You've heard of Solomon, but how many children does David have? David has roughly, now some. there are some debates, but I'm going to just say this, 21 children. 20 of them are sons. One is a daughter. So out of the 20 young men that come from the loins of David, one of them, and it was Solomon was not the firstborn. I think Solomon might have been the tenth, something like that. He might have been the tenth born. Um, don't quote me on that, but he was he was not the firstborn, but he was the most qualified. Okay. Now the tradition has been that the throne is to pass to the firstborn of the king. <clears throat> But there's a qualification. Now, this same qualification that was for David would later be qualifying for the Christ to come through this bloodline, meaning that the mother and the father were supposed to be of the tribe of Judah. So Joseph and Mary were both of the tribe of Judah when they gave birth to the true Jesus, Yeshua. Okay, now understand this. Solomon takes over as king after his father dies. Solomon has many women. But he has one child, one son. His name was Rehoboam. His mother was not of the tribe of Judah. Now, problem. Now, let me just show you where this problem begins. As great of a king as, as Solomon was, in his older years, he was led astray, marrying foreign women, going against Hebrew law, but he was a great and wise king. Men carry the seed. Women carry the culture. This is why it has been of utmost importance for us to keep our women in our culture and for us to marry in our own tribal distinctions within our own nation. Rehoboam's mother was, what was her name? Not, not, uh, let me look this up. Naama. Naama, that was her name, I think. Let me look her up. Naama, Nayama. <clears throat> and she, yeah, that's right, Nayama. She was um, of Ammonite descent, which would have been like 
let's say, hemetic, comedic, negroid, but from the African comedic branch, something like that. So she had different culture than did we. And with her different culture, this is the power of women. Her son did not grow up with the same heart as his father. Now listen to me carefully. (laughs) With the wisdom of Solomon, we're talking about the history of Hebrews. So this young man, I I don't want to sound like I'm picking on sisters or women in general. This woman was not necessarily a sister in the sense of she wasn't one of our bloodline, but women in general. But this young man was more of a mama's boy. He grew up not like with a a heart like his father. Solomon only had one son. So was trying to keep the tradition. And we knew how great David was. We knew how great David was the prototype Christ. We knew how great Solomon was. We naturally wanted to keep that tradition. So the firstborn and the only born of Solomon, Rehoboam, takes the throne. He's roughly 41 years old, so he's still somewhat of a young man. But his heart was not like his father's. So I'm going to go into scripture and I'm going to read for you the second part of the Advent, well, This would be like a third, probably part, a third part of the advent of black on black crime. First being Cain and Abel. You got Jacob and Esau, although Esau came out different. That's a whole nother argument. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. And no, I'm not saying that. All white people are Caucasians and Edomites. That's not what I'm saying. If you've heard that, that's not what I'm saying. We got Saul and David, brothers, going at each other. More black on black crime. But here's where it really shows itself when Rehoboam starts to rule. I'm going to just give you a brief, quick overview. I'm going to read a little bit, but I'm going to give you a brief overview. Basically, what he does, like I said, he was a bit of a mama's boy. He didn't have a heart like his father. Women carried a culture, so she brought a different culture into this boy, this young man. She brought a different thinking to this young man. So, he, I won't say he was rebellious against his dad, but he was definitely not looking at his father in a means of, I want to model myself after him because he was such a good and wise man. So his mind would astray. So listen to what was going on. I'm going to go to 1 Kings chapter 12. Um, Let's start at verse 3. That they sent and called them, Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, My father made our yoke grievous. Now, hold that. Listen. King Solomon bonded Israelites 
Now, everything you heard about King Solomon has pre predominantly been positive, even though most people talk about his, you know, thousand wives and whatever. But, but mostly you've heard everything positive. Now, let's look listen to what actual Israelites are thinking about how they were dealing with King Solomon. <clears throat> Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. King Solomon was a, a, a tough man. And we didn't like what we were going through with him. Because, mind you, we have been through centuries of wars with these foreign nations, Amalekites to be specific. And, you know, we kept going astray and being having to be brought back into real, true following the Almighty. So King Solomon was tough on us. And he had us working really hard, but we built up rulership of the planet under King Solomon. <clears throat> Reads on. Verse 5, and he said unto them, depart yet for three days, then come again to me, and the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived, and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? Now listen to what's going on. So this young man, he's about, you know, like 41 years old. That's relatively young. <clears throat> After the people come to him, come to him and say, hey, we... We get it. You, you're Solomon's son. You know, we had a, some difficult times under Solomon. He was a great and wise man, but we had some pretty difficult times. Okay. We want to serve you, but make our burden lighter than what your father did. So he goes, Rehoboam goes to the elders of Israel and he consults them. And he's like, well, what do I what do you all give me, what advice do you have for me on how I deal with this people? Now listen to what happens. And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, if thou wilt be unto this this people this day, excuse me, if thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day and wilt serve them, meaning what I'm trying to get out of that is leadership is service to the people, even though it was grievous under Solomon, is what it, it was the service to the people that the people needed to be purified, to get that work ethic back. Look at the Negro in America now. Look how lazy and shiftless our people are. Now, listen, Mexicans will do, our Mexican brothers will do jobs that Negroes will reject. A Negro will rather sit up, play PlayStation, a Negro man, drink 40 ounces, collect unemployment, collect food stamps, and all of that, than get out here and work his behind off. Certainly not all of us are like that. He'd rather sell drugs. And you know that's true. Anyhow, let me read verse 7 again and continue. And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. EK, does that sound familiar? Does that sound something like what's going on today? These young men 
consulting young men, forsaking right. older men's counsel. <laughs> that's us that's us here in America today (laughs) without a doubt verse 9 he said unto them what counsel give ye that we may answer this people who are spoken to me saying make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him Hold that. That just put this in my mind. You got um, what's the guy? Big Meech, Larry Hoover. I don't know. I just got those names out of that song. (laughs) I know Big Meech because he's from Detroit. Larry Hoover. All these gang members, gang leaders, right? They come out of prison trying to go back to the gangs and these young boys, these young guys, no longer have respect for the game, for the gang. They no longer have have respect for the founder of the very game that they're claiming. This is all across the board. In our communities. You don't see other people having these types of problems. This is our problem. I'll read it again. And the young men that were grown, verse 10, and the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus say thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made your yoke heavy, made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. <laughs> and now, whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father have chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Now, listen. This young man has a foreign mother. This young man did not have the same heart as his father. We wanted to keep the tradition by saying the firstborn, which this was the only born son of Solomon, was to take the seat. But it was supposed to be the firstborn or the first qualified son. Well, we've got a conundrum here because now we're stuck with a son that is the one son of Solomon, and we want to keep this thing going properly, but apparently... We didn't really know what to do. So now he gets in office. Remember, the women carry the culture. His heart, his mind, his and, and what he how he thinks is different than his father's. He's a bit of a mama's boy. He doesn't have the discipline that a father brings. So likewise, let's look at Thus, those of us in the United States of America today, fathers removed from the homes, particularly in the 80s. The young men go from gangs that were community gangs that were positive, like Black Panther type gangs, be they Black P-Stones in Chicago be they Bloods and Crips, all these were positive community um, gangs, but they were organizations likened unto the Black Panthers. They go from that, the father is now out of the home, now these young men become gang violent, they become violent, they start selling drugs, they begin gang banging and killing one another when there's no fathers in the homes. That is not a coincidence. They start consulting one another. Their leaders start to just rely. They they disregard their elder men. Have no respect for them. And now they're gonna they decide that they're gonna press harder on the people that are there. Now let's look at us today. These young boys are getting into these gangs 
and drug dealing. They're pressing the community. They were raised by mothers. No disrespect to women. Do not misunderstand me. They were raised without the discipline of fathers. So the only thing that they know how to do when they're dealing with conflict is to express themselves emotionally. They do not know how to balance that out because they did not have balance in the home by being raised by both a mother and a father. And that is not the woman's fault. It's probably more the man's fault than anything. I'm not saying the woman is guiltless. That's not what I'm saying. But when you really look at this thing, they start to oppress the people. They want to put more of a heavy yoke and a burden on the people by selling them drugs so they can get rich off of their own people. The exact same thing is going on in the scriptures. (laughs) Do you see this, E.K.? Yeah, brother, I mean, it's the same thing that was, it's, you know, it's no, nothing is new under the sun. It's a revolving cycle. But then again, having said that, knowing all of this, this gives us the opportunity to not commit those same things again. But it goes back to the foundation for which people are viewing life as well as the lens that they're looking at life through. And so... It's not, it's like, you know, especially at this point today in time, you know, we have enough, I want to say, pieces pieces to the puzzle that will give us the ability to not have to succumb to the same, um, you know, I guess for the lack of a better term, devious, deviant behaviors but it would be rather in our best interest to just look at our condition and see that we're really, like, like it's not that people are against us, but people are, are just going to continue to enhance the stigma and narrative of us being, you know, not capable of doing the right thing all the time, you know? And we're seeing an example of that, what happened in the scriptures, but... Again, it goes back to this is a pattern that if we're not, you know, seeing it for what it is, then we'll continue to make the same mistake over and over. And then, especially at this point, when there's no one else to blame, you know, like at, at one point you can say like there are people that, you know, that do have an influence for why certain things are happening to us, but for the majority of it, it's really up to us to change the narrative. Like, you know, it's an interesting statistic how, like, it's been flowing around, like, quote-unquote, Negroes make 13% of the population in America, yet we commit the most homicides throughout the whole entire America coming out of Negroes, you know, throughout America, you know. And so that's showing a correlation as to, like, what's, the proportion of us dealing with ourselves in a positive manner, in a negative manner, you know? And so we don't have a statistic that's showing um, us doing positive things in our community. Why is the stigma having to correlate with negative statistics that's showing us as people that are always just violent driven? And I believe we're more capable of that. But it goes back to us looking at ourselves and saying, you know, like, look at us right now. Like, what is the point of trying to sell each other drugs? And what is the point of us killing each other when it has not proven anything throughout the course of, throughout the course of history, you know? And it's like at this point, if we don't get it, then it's, it's no one else's fault but our own, you know? So it's us really taking our responsibility. But, again, it goes back to, the consistent examples of our leadership in the communities, making being that positive example and being consistent about it. So these young brothers and these young sisters can look up to something that's positive and model their behavior after that. You know, but if we're not taking root of the foundation, which really starts in the home, the male and the female, really having that balance and understand how to work together collaboratively, 
and it's going to continue to have this cycle that we're dealing with today, you know, black-owned, quote-unquote, black-owned-black crime, this poverty-stricken condition that we, quote-unquote, seemingly can't get out of, trying to blame other nationalities outside of ourselves, trying to get hand free hand us, doesn't work like that, you know? And so we just got to be better and do better, you know? Because, you know, when you really look at it, like, even though, you know, particularly us in America, as far as Negroes in America, you look around the whole world, we really don't have the data as other parts of the world. Like, at least we have access to certain things that can get us on track. Other places don't have that same opportunity. So it would behoove us to not squander that away. You know, and another thing, too, is, like, if the Caucasian man is so bad, and where we are as Negroes today, and he decided to say, hey, anyone that is a Negro right now, off the grid, off, you know, we're kicking you out of America. What would we do at that point? What would we do at that point? You know, like all this stuff that's going, what would we do at that point? You know, so that's all to tell us that we have to wake up to the reality of what's going on. We're our own worst enemy. And the more we are our own worst enemy, they can continue to profit off of our negativity and create more stigmas and generate a narrative that's going to continue to follow us wherever we go until we continue to prove otherwise. So it's really in our best interest to do that, to change the narrative, and it just starts by each and every one of us correcting ourselves first, making sure that we're doing our internal work, then building our brothers and sisters, then teaching the youth to be that consistent examples of why we can't be doing negative things to each other. You know, because people profit off of our negativity and our ignorance, and we can't keep allowing that anymore. Now you, brother. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to just tell you what ends up happening. The children begin to rule over the entire nation. The young people begin to be the leaders of or the perceived leaders of the entire nation. The nation of Israel that was established by Rehoboam's grandfather as David, well, David helped anyhow. Um, he now is oppressing. Remember, he has a foreign mother. He now is oppressing, although he is the seed, he is now oppressing his own people. And so while he's oppressing, he's really oppressing them. The young folks are ruling over them. So just like you look at today, what we got, this is what's so insane. We have, with all due respect, Jay-Z is 50 years old. Sometimes Jay-Z dresses like he's 16 years old. Now, he doesn't do that all the time, but he follows the young people in their style of dress be it the baseball hats or the, the, the jerseys, so on and so forth. We have these people that are of age that are, that are mimicking children, our people. Our people that are older are afraid of these young people. You're afraid of them. You're worried about them attacking you or robbing you. You walk down the street, you see four young Negro men, you gotta and you on the other side of the street, you really gotta be saying, Wait, I'm I need to get away from them. We're afraid of them. They have in their mind that they want to put a yoke on older people. This is our young people. And you can't say that this is not true because you you are seeing this every day. And I'm reading it out of the scriptures, and I'm showing it to you today because we're the same people. Now, what ends up happening is because of Rehoboam's conduct, the kingdom of Israel splits. 
there were 12 tribes. All 11 of the other tribes got up and left. And they said, look, you, you ruler from Judah? Okay, we're going to split this in half. We're going to have Israel. You can rule Judah. So Judah will become not just a city any longer. It's going to become a country, a nation. And we're going to keep the original Israel, the top, this top half, as it was. That was all 11 tribes. Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, ended up coming back and being with the tribe of Judah. We began infighting. This was black against black, quote unquote, black against black, Latinos against Latinos, blacks, and so on and so forth, Native Americans, so forth, so on and so forth. We began to infight. Now, with the divide, the kingdom of Israel had as its government the house of David from the house of Israel divided. So now the house of David, which is government, we're talking about government, is now only in Judah, which is the lower half. The house of Israel is in the upper kingdom, which is the kingdom of Israel continued. So we have a major problem. We have a political divide. We have a basic fundamental ideological divide. Then this, this um, idolatry spreads even more as Rehoboam starts putting in office basically false priests, false officials. All of the officials of this government, of a, a theocratic government, have what you would quote unquote call like what you call like church titles. But their religious titles, so to speak, they're not really religious titles, but their religious titles, so to speak. And whereas you think of a priest, a high priest, a minister, or what have you, you think of those as whatever you think of them as. But they are actually offices in a theocratic government. The police of today come from the priesthood of yesterday. They're called peace officers, right? <laughs> Why do you think they're called peace officers? Because they were the ones that were supposed to keep the peace, which was the priesthood. Anyhow, that's where the kingdom split under Rehoboam, whose mother was a foreign woman, which is, again, the importance. I'm not trying to attack anybody that has a foreign relationship. Don't, don't misunderstand me. There were times when we took foreign women and recultured them into our nation so that they had to reflect our culture, our thinking. You know how you've ever been around different, na different nationalities and you know they do things that we'd be like, oh, that's nasty. <laughs> You know, like I was around some Caucasian people and they drinking behind one another, you know, like all drinking out of this one cup. I'm like, hold up now. <laughs> and they try to pass it to me. No, no, I wasn't raised like that. I ain't drinking behind nobody. <laughs> you know, now not all of us do that because I know a lot of people like to pass the beer around and pass the, the 40 and past that nasty, wet marijuana joint. But for the most part, we want to clean our counters. I've been around these other foreigners. They're trying to clean. They're trying to um, 
cook food. They won't even clean their counter right. You know, you know what I'm saying. We 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 have different ways about us, and and it's it's preserved in the woman. She preserves all of the good, clean things about us, and she can preserve some bad things about us. But in our people, our women, they cook a certain way, they clean a certain way. Not all of them do it because these millennial women they got got gone astray. But you understand, this is where it began. We'll be we'll uh, go into this more next week. We're gonna bring this all the way up into modern day times. So I uh, thank you all for being here today. I thank you for being with your brother, and I thank Brother Ek for being here consistently. And um, all praises to the Most High Almighty. Thank you for listening. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.